Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Fan <laughs> Fuel. This is our 53rd edition of the podcast where fans feel talk about motorsports. Uh, Jared is booked up and ready to go. Tonight, we're doing yet another wide open Fan Fuel, and I'm going to make an announcement right now. Uh, if you want to be on the show, we will be sending people links to be a part of Wide Open Fan Fuel. Uh, more so than just throwing some comments up. But you can throw your comments up on YouTube and Facebook, and we'll get you as well. And um, on that note, we're going to do that in a little bit. Right now we're going to start off with some of the weekend's other racing series. And, Nathan, uh, I know you watched a little bit more than probably myself and Jared did, but let's let's talk about uh, some open wheel stuff. So we had IndyCar at Texas. And Formula One with their season opener in uh, Bahrain. Yeah, they're both good races. Um, the F1 race I thought was pretty entertaining. Didn't expect the ending to be the way it was, but we went probably 90% of the race without a safety car. And then there was one at the end, which wasn't going to make anything crazy, but both of the Red Bulls had some sort of fuel flow issue. They shut down. Um, Ferrari got a 1 2 for the first time since. 20 i want to say 2019 probably no not even 2019 they haven't had a one two in a long time so this is pretty interesting and the indycar race was good too because it came down to the last lap um i didn't think it would but there was a lot of lap traffic so it kind of set up a finish that no one expected so it was it's way better than i expected for texas yeah well let's dig a little bit further into it while we wait for everybody to get ready for this atlanta fan fuel wide open edition um Let's talk about Jimmy Johnson, first oval race, uh, and he's going to be running all the ovals the whole series this year and the Indy 500. Uh, finished P6. What do you guys have to say about that? I was surprised. Like, I was impressed. I didn't – I knew he'd probably do all right. Like, I, I was like, all right, top 15, he could probably do that. But I didn't think he was going to make it all the way up to sixth. Like, that was kind of cool. That was – I mean, for somebody who's just doing it his first time, that's pretty impressive. So, it's just – it kind of caught me off guard too, because I think he was ahead of Scott Dixon for the longest time until he finally got passed. So, and he's like the King of Texas for those of you who watch IndyCar. So that was kind of out of the blue. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool too. Like, does that mean, do you think we could put him in as maybe a top five contender for the Indy 500 towards the end of May? I mean, he was really good. I mean, obviously, in NASCAR, he was really good at Indianapolis. And if you, that's his first time getting a top six position spot and his first over race in IndyCar, what makes you think that he won't get a top five, top ten, at, top ten at least in Indy? Ooh. I think yeah. he could on speed, probably. Like, I think, obviously, McLaughlin's probably odds-on favorite right now based on how he's run the first two races. And he's good at ovals, too. Like, McLaughlin seemed to take to the ovals quicker than he took to anywhere else. Yeah. And um, plus you got all the Pensy cars look good. Um, but like you said, Johnson, I think he'll be good on speed. It's just the Indy 500 is like a complete roulette wheel. Like it's impossible to predict. Yeah. But I mean, we can say um, that we didn't expect Jimmy to come and, and be this full, you know, full speed on an Opal. I think, mm-hmm. I think despite that Texas is changed, he was the king of Texas. So maybe there's a little bit to go there, but I don't know um, because it's a different layout, different car and everything. But he showed prowess. I mean, 
he was running top five for a, a good percent of that last run, like you said. And uh, I think it showed that there is potential. And I think the more interesting fact is, is he's over 40 and he's learning yeah. new skills in racing. And that takes something um, that a lot of people don't have when it comes to talent of adaptability. I think obviously Nathan, your favorite driver, Fernando yeah. Alonso is one of the guys that can do that. Kyle Larson obviously is probably one of the guys that's going to be able to do that long term. But I mean, this shows just sheer talent from Jimmy Johnson that he's going to be able to be, you know, in the zone at an oval. And when we go to Indianapolis, he'll be going into turn one, probably 30 or 40 mile an hour faster than he's ever been. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. He's going to be in a Ganassi car too. So if Ganassi shows up, when they show up, they usually they usually have pretty damn good 500s. So that's what Ooh, we – This is a good one. This is a good question. Um, so um, we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Um, so – there was some controversy going into this race, and I don't know if you guys saw the Twitter thread from Jenna Fryer or not, but she basically had some concerns about marketing and the lack of fans um, at the race. Obviously, this race is a June race, has been for quite some time. They've done different things there. They've done the doubleheader. It's always been a night race. This is a race in the middle of the day in March. Um, she said there was no advertisements for this race whatsoever. I know... Um, going around most of the race tracks, you barely get to see any advertisements, even for some of the for the races for NASCAR around here. But the Indy 500 leases a whole building for three months a year to uh, promote themselves in downtown Indianapolis. So, what do you guys think of of the critique of, um, I guess, the advertisement to get these people into the stands? I'd have to agree with it because every time, like as a longtime IndyCar fan, I've always said people like, please watch the sport. Like if you if you watch it, you're going to like it. But it's just they don't really do that good of a job of getting out there in terms of marketing standpoint because they're not. But part of that is because their identity. I don't think they're marketed towards a casual fan like they're marketed towards like diehard fans, kind of like three of us that have watched racing for pretty much their whole lives. But I do think that if they do a better job, they're probably going to have a lot more fans because a lot of the people that do watch it say it's like the best racing product of the three major series. And it's fun to watch. It's just it's just tough because no one really advertises it. Yeah, that's basically it. It's more of advertising. If you want to get more people, more viewers, more people in stands, you're going to want to advertise. I mean, how many NASCAR advertisements have we seen for like the upcoming race like you know the first commercial they'll advertise next week's race already or even like races two weeks ahead or even like bristol dirts being advertised already and that's not even till about a month from now i think you just well if you want more fan interaction you got to get more marketing but then it's also cool that if you're actually at that race you know who the real fans are so whenever you're going to a race you're like oh these are all like og fans basically here so that might be a better experience but also if you want to grow your sport you're going to want to advertise more than outside of your main indy 500 event yeah uh and that's something that they need to do um and something that i'll get into in my next point um uh, i have a really big issue with uh first and foremost um i will say that this year for atlanta motor speedway for the folds of honor quick trip 500 um i heard radio broadcasts for the last month and a half on uh, radio advertisements. That's something that, that, that I haven't heard in years, but I heard it this year. So 
stand up to that. They obviously got a massive crowd because of that. That's something that you've got to do for IndyCar as well. Because if you were at that race for your first race, you are a lifelong IndyCar fan. I, I'm sorry. That is one of the greatest races I think we've seen, um, especially since the repave. Um, so I I don't know. To, to not have fans in the stands, shoot yourself in the foot, not only as a sport, but as a venue. Because, I mean, you're going to have people coming back that were there on Sunday, but there's probably a few thousand people you didn't reach that weren't going to be able to be in those seats to come back and be repeat fans. Uh, but what I was alluding to earlier is um, IndyCar also made this race the same weekend as the Sebring 12 hour. I mean, yeah. what do you guys think about that? I think they dropped the absolute ball on this. We see um, Jimmy Johnson and his ally 48 is racing um, all year last year and all four of these endurance events. And they, could have done that with Jimmy Johnson this year, but he was in Texas. Yeah, I don't know about that. Like, I think IndyCar drivers have done Sebring for a long time. Like Hunter Ray always does, or Hunter Ray used to always do Sebring. Bourdais used to always do Sebring, etc. So I don't understand the logic of conflicting them because it seems like IndyCar has the biggest crossover with sports cars of most of the series. So it's kind of unfair to just not let them drive in it. Yeah, I'm just gonna agree with Nathan on that point. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing not to do. I mean, come on, you got how many IndyCar drivers were in the Rolex 24? Uh, like it's like ten or something, right? And how many of them would have done the Sebring 12 hour like they did last year? I think there were six last at year, at least. Yeah, like so at least five or six. I mean, again, you're not gonna be able to branch out your sport if their big names aren't in other racing series for other people to watch. And there were, it was a world stage this weekend um, because Sebring not only had IMSA with the 12 hours, but they had a hundred kilometers of Sebring with the WEC guys. So that's European motorsport coming over mm -hmm. and partaking. So that they dropped the ball on that one as well. But let's talk about something they did right. And that's something that we always complain about here. And that is stages ruin races because we don't have fuel and tire strategy and uh nathan and jared i hope you guys are as appreciative as i am of this race not having stages because that final 40-ish yes. laps where we were trying cool. to figure everything out was absolutely batshit crazy yeah i was impressed um there's a lot of passing going on i think there's kind of a game of chicken with fuel. I think that probably led to the passes because there were guys trying to hit certain numbers with fuel and some guys didn't want to lead. Some guys did, and they were just going back and forth. So I was impressed with that. I think it's really good. It almost reminded me of the Indy 500 with how much guys were going back and forth, not wanting to lead and all that kind of stuff. So it just goes to show you long run races are good. Yeah, I agree. I've always been a fan of long run races, especially when it comes to fuel mileage. Cause you know, I'm used to, I grew up watching that. Like we go into Pocono race and it was always cool just to see like what strategies are going to like come out of there. But then like in NASCAR now it's like once in a blue moon, you get a strategy race. And with that race this weekend, it was pretty cool to see a actual strategy race play out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden at the last moment, it's not a strategy play because there was a last lap pass under power from both cars. So uh, I don't know if, if a lot of you guys that are watching us now watch that race, but, um, talk about the just power move that Joseph Newgarden put on the last lap. Oh, yeah. That was cool to watch. Um, 
Uh, there was lap traffic coming up. I knew it was going to be bad because of how hard it is to pass that track. If you hit traffic, you're probably going to struggle to get around them. And I think McLaughlin was slowing down a little bit, trying to avoid catching the lap traffic. Like he wanted to wait as long as he could to not catch the traffic, but they were going, I think he said the car in front of him was only going 190 miles an hour. So he had no choice, but to run up on the back of a lap car in the final corner of the race, which pretty much cost him the win. Yeah, so last lap passes are kind of cool whenever it's not like manufactured or forced. Whenever it plays out long, long run wise, that's pretty cool. Rather than if you get a restart with two laps to go and you get a last lap pass. Yeah, but uh, I do have to ask with the caveat of that with a with a, a lap car coming into play, um, a lot of people frown upon that in the NASCAR world. Um, what do you guys think about it? Because I mean, for me, okay. it's it's traffic management. So yeah, like I don't think it's are I don't think they were deliberately holding them up because it's just the way Indy cars are. If you get behind a guy, dirty air is going to cost you handling wise. So I, I don't think that anybody intended for that to happen. And plus it's Texas. There's nowhere for the lap cars to go because there's only one lane. So it's kind of just unfortunate. I mean, this has happened in F1 a couple times too. Um, you think back to 2005 Imola where I think Alonzo held off Schumacher that was partly because there was lap cars in front of Alonzo and he knew that if he pushed hard to get up to the lap car, that Schumacher would pass him. So that was him backing up, slowing the pace down, despite having a guy behind him, just trying to avoid catching the lap cars. And I think McLaughlin tried his best to slow down the pace, but he couldn't slow down too much because he had Newgarden behind him. So I don't know. I don't think it's anybody's fault. I don't have a problem with it because where else can the lap cars go on a one lane track? Yeah. I'll agree with Nathan on that point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, it is what it is. You, you hate to see it. Um, especially someone as, as much of a fan of supercars as I, I am. It was a little bit saddening to see Scott McLaughlin get passed like that. But like you guys said, it's kind of inevitable, especially in a, in a, Aero sensitive car like an Indy car on an oval, so a little bit for me. Just it sucks to see, but it is what it is. Um, before we uh, get into the F one opener, I do want to kind of go back and, and talk a little bit about Sebring. Uh, I, not really too much in depth, but I did want to shout out the fact that uh, Juan Pablo Montoya was racing with his son Sebastian at sixteen year old in. Uh, 12 hours of Sebring, but sadly, um, they got their crash. Uh, they got into a crash and cut short, I think, about two and a half hours into the event. Um, so, I mean, how cool for you guys being, you know, like we had that just whole episode where we um, just t- told everyone how much we loved Juan Pablo Montoya. How, how did it feel for you guys to be able to see a second generation Montoya on track? I think it's cool that Juan's still racing. That's like the number one thing I took away from this. You know, like most drivers don't stick around long enough to be able to race their own children. So it's kind of like a rarity these days. I know that Joe Nemechek did it with John Hunter. Um, I don't remember if anybody else recently has done that, but I think he's probably the latest to do it. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool that he's still racing in general and that he's racing with his kid. Because basically like what Nate said, I can't really think of many people that have actually done that. I know, but I think Dave and Ryan raced together in an Xfinity race before. Joe, Joe and John, uh, John Hunter raced. Um, other than that, I can't even think of anyone else before 
and obviously Dale and Dale Jr. raced. Um, I can't think. I honestly yeah, can't think of anyone else. I can't right now either. But uh, yeah, I just I thought that was cool. I know we got we we us three and and Colton we really had that really big appreciation show. So I just wanted to shout that out. Hopefully we can see some more of these uh, these kids come up in motorsport and do uh, half as good as their parents because uh, I don't think we're gonna see him at a at sixteen year old. I obviously can't make any statements, but I doubt we'll see him win in Formula One, NASCAR, and IndyCar because I think that's probably summed up to just be a, a Juan Pablo Montoya Mario Andretti stat. Um, so. Uh, with that being said, let's move back over to Formula One. Uh, Nathan, I know you said this on qualifying day on Saturday. Um, is Leclerc a one-lap god? So kind of explain oh, yeah. what you were talking to us on our uh, in our group chat about that. Yeah, honestly, I've been saying it for the last couple of years is that that dude is crazy good in qualifying. Um, I think he won seven poles in 2019, and he didn't really have – the best car, you know, it's kind of in qualifying. It was probably the joint best car, but he still won five of those poles on pure pace and two more off of grid penalties. And then 2020, obviously the car wasn't fast enough to do so, but he pretty much destroyed his teammate, which is a four time champion. And I do believe, yeah, 2021, he did win a couple poles in a car that wasn't the fastest. That was kind of lucky, but I mean, he still put himself in that place. And then this year he takes pole by about a 10th maybe. And he said that, Oh, sorry guys, that wasn't my best lap, but he's still on pole. So I think there's a lot more to come from him. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the race happened. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of that, but uh, I got to say um, some of the, some of the strategy that was coming out with tires. I like that. That's back. We seem to have been missing that with the wide body cars from 2017 on. Um but let's talk about that sequence from lap 16 to 19 right there where where Leclerc and, and Verstappen, they, they changed the lead four or five times in a couple of laps. That was fun to watch. Like I was excited for that because they said that the cars were easier to follow, which was nice. Um, I think this was either like in the middle of the pit windows because I know they made like two or three stops. Every car made at least two stops during that race, so it was fun to watch. I enjoyed it. I especially enjoyed what Leclerc did going into turn one on one of those passes. He did not go to eighth gear. He just stayed in seventh, recharged his battery, lever stab and get inside of him. And then for the next straight, he just tucked in behind him, got DRS, passed him back. Like, that was really smart. Yeah, and uh, it was it was really incredible. Jared, I don't know if you watched the Formula 1 race or not. Uh, but if you if you didn't, you probably need to. It was one of the best Formula One races I think we've seen in a while. Uh, so they kind of did the similar thing and just overhauled the, the cars like we did in NASCAR this year. And first first run out, I think that it's a, already a success. Like you said, Nathan, they can follow better. They were passing. Um, the 18-inch wheels seemed to be doing, you know, just wonders for them. But I have to say my biggest takeaway from those cars is just how much of a DRS flap we have now. It is ginormous. Like, holy yeah. crap. They're big. I think it's because with the less downforce, all the dirty air, the slipstream effect is less. And same with the DRS. It's less powerful. So they kind of have to compensate for that one way or another. But if it's easier to follow in the corners, I think it's a good trade-off. Because I don't remember if you guys saw the – 
the tire strategies like you were talking about, because I think there was only one car that did it on two stops. I think, well, not maybe one, but there was a lot, but there was a lot of three stop strategies too, which I thought was crazy because yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw a three stop race. I, I don't know. Uh, when did they go to the three compounds in each weekend? Probably 2016, yeah. maybe 2015. I'm yeah. not sure. But it's a long time think... ago because I'm thinking I think sometimes probably... guys would take the third stop if they wanted to get fast slap or whatever. Yeah. Like this was legitimately on strategy. Like they didn't do this to try and get something. They had to take three stops. Yeah. And, and that, man, I, I, I love strategy. I love that F1 gives us that because they have such – um, short races, you don't necessarily get that for um, each each event, especially in the last five or so years with the 2017 car updates that they got. So I'm glad that we're seeing pretty much a renaissance of racing. And it's interesting for me, we saw this around 2011, 2012 with all kinds of series just having straight bangers. I remember the 2012 season of Formula One was absolutely crazy nine or eight excuse me different winners in the first eight grand prix uh 2011 was an astonishing year for nascar as as well as 2012 um the same thing for indycar uh in 2011 and 2012 they had some pretty decent um races back then and then i remember uh the v8 supercar season of 2011 saw like 13 different winners so um i'm hoping we're gonna have that same sort of thing with all these series doing all this new things with the next gen car the new Formula One cars, the LMDH uh, coming up uh, in the uh, IMSA and uh, Lamar world, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do have a question for Jared from our friend from Left Turn Cult, Cody Powers. Who does Jared anticipate to be the top three teams in F1 this season? Oh boy, um, Ferrari. That's that's one. Um. Well, well, Stephen, you gotta go. Mm, let's see. I will probably. Like, I'm still going with Red Bull and Mercedes. I know people are like hyped up about Haas and stuff, but all right, I'll go uh, Ferrari. Yeah, Red I, Bull. I think it's interesting. I think Jared's getting called out right here. Do you yeah. even know the ten teams in? <laughs> um, if you give me a minute, I'll know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, somebody hasn't been watching Drive to Survive. Somebody hasn't been. No, watching I'm the telling you, like, if you just start watching those like six minute highlight videos after every F1 race, like, that's probably the easiest way to get into it. I think yeah. now that I think what I'm probably gonna end up doing, if I watch that documentary, I think I'll probably end up getting into it because usually oh, yeah. it just yeah. it usually just takes me watching something like that. That is mm-hmm. definitely what the U.S. market has done with Drive to Survive. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to go Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull. That's my top three. Yeah, that's honestly, right. I think that's what's going to be like. Because I think Mercedes, I know that they're a little down right now, but I think they have the most upward potential. Like, I don't think they figured out their car yet. I think Ferrari probably has the best overall package. Like, they understand what they're doing, but I think well, they're kind of closer to the maximum than others. That, I mean, the easiest thing to say is is Ferrari has the most money, Mercedes has the best engineers and the best driver, and then Red Bull has Verstappen. So, I mean, it's 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 a pretty equal three this year. As long as Ferrari shows up, it's going to be a title fight between the three of them. I think with these new cars, it's going to be an awesome year just to see the potential of what they can do at some of these different tracks, um, the longer straight line tracks like Spa, Baku. Uh, I know those are two completely different tracks, but uh, just just to see. 
how much of a distance are we going to put between everyone? Um, and I can't wait for the shorter tracks like Interlagos. That's that's really what I love about any racing is the shorter tracks. But uh, mm-hmm. um, so let's talk about it. You said something about the fuel pressure at the end of the race, but the biggest thing um, that happened on Sunday, I think, is that the reigning champ did not score any points, and his teammate didn't either. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to pin that on him. Obviously, they had like some sort of massive technical meltdown because where Verstappen was pretty comfortably the second best car all day, and he had power steering problems for the whole race. He had something was wrong with his brakes. He was complaining he couldn't do well in the outlabs because of his tires. So he was already riddled with problems to begin with. And then they thought his battery was a problem when it shut off, but it wasn't the battery. It was something with the fuel pressure. Like the, I don't know if it was the sensor or what, but it just shut off completely. And then a few laps later, his teammate had the same problem. His engine just seized up in the middle of a corner. He spins from second or third. I think he was third. So it pretty much just, like it was just one of those days for Red Bull. Yeah, and uh, that's that sucked because I think uh, that just fueled the toxicity of Hamilton fans <laughs> because the guy oh that gosh. took that that took the number one, who was an asshole for taking the number one after winning a championship, by the way, is um <laughs> um is is now not even able to score championship points in the first round as reigning, reigning champion. So. Um, I think, I think I, I didn't even get on Twitter after that. I blocked all my F1 stuff because I didn't want to see it. We'll, we'll check it out after after the second GP. But with that being said, we are finally through with our open wheel recap and a little bit of Sebring love. And it is time for wide open fan fuel. And if you saw the intro to our show, it was just a blank stare from Kyle Busch. And all, all I can say is that is half the fan base right now after this weekend's happenings at Atlanta. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop in our Facebook and YouTube comment section a link to our stream tonight. We'll be able to put you guys on, or you can comment if you don't want to be on the show. But we're going to have we're going to have a truly wide open fan fuel. Uh, so whatever you want to talk about, as long as it's Within the realm of this weekend's action at Atlanta, we're going to let you start the discussion. Um, so the link is posting now, and uh, welcome on to the show, whoever wants to come. In the meantime, guys, first initial thoughts from the Atlanta Repave. Ooh. Um. First of all, I don't like. I don't want to be too strong toward this. Like, I don't. I don't hate the idea. I just hate that it was done to Atlanta and not like Texas. You know, like why, why do we have to take this track? You know, I feel like if we were just going to straight repave it, I think Atlanta probably would have aged pretty quickly because of the weather and all that stuff. So Darlington's repave aged pretty easily. So it's kind of sad because I wanted to see Atlanta kind of go through that phase again, because I think it could have gotten exactly where it was recently. I think it would have been a really good race, like without the repave and this new car, because we've already seen. I know, obviously, last year they had no idea how the race was going to be, but you know, you have the first four races this year were all bangers with the new car. What makes you think that Atlanta wouldn't have been better than Las Vegas this year? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm a I'm an Atlanta guy. Uh, I don't have any opinions uh, outright right now. I'm gonna have a rant later, but let's bring in our first guest. It looks like it's gonna be. Cody Powers from the left turn. What is going on? 
what's up, fellas? What's up, oh. fellas? Hi, so, Cody. We were, we were just talking about our initial thoughts on Atlanta. So, I mean, you were at the race. So, what were your initial thoughts? Um, initially, I thought that it was an incredible weekend from start to finish. Um, the truck race out of the three races, I think, was the uh, the most boring, maybe. Um, I still thought it was great racing. I've been to the last three Atlanta races now, and I think that the product that we had on the track this weekend was miles and leaps above what we had last year in both races. Um, we had the stands way fuller, which I know last March it was still like COVID protocol. I don't remember what the capacity was allowed for last March, but those stands were so much more full this spring than they were even in the summer last year. Um, but I absolutely loved the racing. I think it's great. It's something new and exciting. Do I want every 1.5 to be this way? No, but I think it's cool that Atlanta now has its own pool to it. Um, and of course, you know, some of us are old heads where we love the old slick racing of Atlanta, but and I mean, when it comes down to it, they needed to repave regardless. They could have probably repaved and had it very similar to the original format, but they didn't. I was skeptical at first, but after seeing the race in the stands, I can't speak from the broadcast angle. It could have been horrible on Fox, which I did go back and rewatch. I didn't think it was necessarily horrible, but I have a bias because I was there already. Um, so I just I think it was an incredible race. I enjoyed it from start to finish. All right. Well, uh, I mean, I was there too. I, I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it like I enjoyed a Talladega race. It's fun because I'm there and – it you know the cars being close it's kind of a it's kind of an anomaly in my opinion uh because it seems exciting but when you take a step back you know there's no really show of man versus machine there it's just a bunch of guys doing this in a circle for to me it was a dumbed down version. <laughs> right it was a dumbed down it's a dumbed down version of of NASCAR and they basically turned us into the meme. It's just turn it's just go fast, turn left. And there was there was not really any more to it. Great value Talladega. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I want to say I think it's more of a Nike Talladega. Yeah, like I'll, I'll, I will say, like as much as I prefer the old Atlanta, I thought the only like redeeming quality is that you had to have track position. You know, it wasn't one of those races where you could just ride around like a Daytona or Talladega and you can make up all the ground at the end. Like you pretty much had to be up front because there's only two real grooves. They couldn't really go three wide that much. So they had to race the whole time, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we, we saw a lot of guys say it was a lot more fast paced. We saw it was, it was, you know, mentally taxing was the words that William Byron used multiple times in his interviews. Um, I do have to ask you, Cody, since you were at the race, I don't know if these guys saw it because they weren't, but could you tell from where you were sitting just how intense everything was? I think so. So I said um, I snuck and got some seats that I didn't buy. Uh, I set up Illegal. under the uh, – I know. I set up and under the clubs. Uh, that way there was a shade and everything. So I sat pretty much right in the entry of turn one. Um, I definitely feel like the intensity was up compared to what we normally feel for intermediates for sure. Yeah. We never saw that uh, separation. Like the leader was never comfortably ahead. And I like that aspect of it. See, and that's interesting. Cause I didn't like that aspect of it. It really, really annoyed me. Fun. Like I, it really annoyed me because, because they were always Jeez. together. And like, for me, I'm okay. So when I go to a racetrack, because obviously I go to Talladega every year, 
that's completely different. But when I go to Atlanta, I'm like, okay, I'm going to come up here. I'm going to analyze exactly what's going on. I'm going to look at these guys. I'm going to see where their runs are coming from. I'm going to be like, okay, well, this guy's managing his tire. He should, he should, you know, he should be about three positions higher by the time the stage ends or the time this run ends or the green flag pit stops and everything. And I, and I just, I don't know. I guess it's because I, I'm like, uh, a NASCAR file. I don't know, but old heads. <laughs> we we are old heads. That's all it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I just I love being able to watch and just like okay, well this guy's doing this and like just with my peripherals I can tell who's going to be in a battle in six laps, fifteen laps, who's going to be losing, and I could not get that on Sunday and it frustrated me so much. So. Can I ask then if if Atlanta hadn't have changed, do you think that we would have saw Corey LaJoy finish top five at just a normal Atlanta race? No. no. But with, but don't with, we love it, though? Like, don't we love seeing those guys who aren't normally – like the Bubba Wallaces and the, and even the William Byrons because Willie B isn't known as a dominant racer himself. Yeah, so – I'll, I'll tell you, like, I so, you know, I've known about this repave. I've known the direction they were going to go for the better part of two, two and a half years because my dad works at the track. He asked me when the checker flag falls. So what did you think? I said, I absolutely hate that I love this. Those were my words. So, yeah, I'm kind of the same boat. <laughs> so it did exactly what it was supposed to. I didn't think it was going to. I was in the Denny Hamlin boat of this is not going to be right. And then – it was fun, and it pisses me off that I liked it because, no, we wouldn't have seen all that stuff. But also, my heart's like, this isn't really skillful racing. And then I'm like, but these guys are making moves that I've never seen on super speedways, and they're so much harder. Like, ugh. So yeah, I, it's I tough. Know. Like, I'm kind of in that – I'm kind of trying to balance it because I – it was better than I thought, but at the same time, I don't want to give him too much credit because then NASCAR is going to get the idea like, oh, we need this everywhere. And I'm like, I don't want this everywhere, though. See, I don't think NASCAR is thinking that way. I think the only people thinking that way are the people like us who are afraid they're thinking that way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I think we're just like making this like we're creating this idea by saying I hope NASCAR doesn't want to do it. Right. Yeah but, 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 yeah, but then if we're talking about that, then what if they take that idea? What if they think that our thing right. so is like they do with the numbers and they so like, let's they, quit they talking about it and quit like saying please don't do this and then they just won't do it. Because right now that's probably trending, you know. That's like, oh, they think that we're gonna do it, but we're not really gonna do it. But if they keep thinking we're gonna do it, then we might do it just because they think that we're gonna do yeah, it. Yeah, just out of spite. <laughs> so I I don't know. Just we've been asking for more short tracks, right? For a ton of time. Now I know this is a it's this SMI problem with what I'm about to bring up, but we got dirt Bristol from a short track, and I'm sorry, not the same thing. Um, we got the LA Coliseum finally, and I fucking love that. But we got six road courses on the schedule. We lost a crown jewel for a road. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't trust NASCAR. They tried to replicate that all-star package at at Charlotte in 2017 or whatever it was. And we got the 550 package for three years, obviously a lame duck year because we were only supposed to have it for two years, but they were going to do that with the next gen car. Anyways, like we got the numbers. I, remember. I think we're all in the right mind to have distrust about this. Like, track yeah, we we got success. trust issues. Yeah. 
I personally love Bristol Dirt. Um, I think I was there last year for the first race. Um, I was there for practice. I'm a native to the area. Um, so there's a few different reasons why I love it. Well, no, I mean, it's incredible for our local economy. Uh, there's way more traffic up in Bristol, even right now, because we have the Dirt Nationals, which are taking place. Um, the spring Bristol race had gotten to the point to where the stands were just genuinely empty. Um, you couldn't tell a difference in between the COVID race and then the last spring race, really. Um, nobody was coming to the Bristol spring race because it was either going to be rained out, snowed out, or just miserable temperatures. Um, so now with this dirt race, we have constant traffic and flow in our area. It's great for our local economy. And I thought the racing was pretty fun last year. Um, I did go back and re-watching. I did go back and re-watch it, but the broadcast made it bad. Um, the broadcast last year for Bristol Dirt was terrible. And a lot of that had to do with the dust. In person, it was incredible. I had no visual impairments or anything. Um, the Bristol Dirt race is a lot of fun. Cody, I have a question. Hopefully I have an answer. Do you think it'll be better since it is a night race this year? Um, as far as being there, I don't think it's going to change it too much. What, as about far as like what about visibility wise? Do you think that'll be a little bit better because it's nighttime and there won't be the sun glaring down on it? But there will be bright lights. Ah, that is the that is the thing that I am scared about. I think it's going to be mm. worse because if you go and watch I am a dirt racing fan. I fucking love dirt racing. If you go watch a Same. Eldora Dirt Lay Model Dream race, you can't see the backstretch from the cameras and stuff like that because of the bright lights. We even saw that when we had Eldora for the truck series uh, the first couple of years. The only thing that's going to make me excited for a Bristol dirt race is if we get good track prep crews because that's all dirt racing is. If, if you don't track – you don't track prep right, which is what we didn't have last March. You're SOL. So until they can prove me that it's going to work, I am going to be skeptical. Uh, because we lost the 500 lap race at Bristol, despite the attendance issues. I understand the track's got to make money, but they get money from TV more so than they do attendance anyways. Right, but you also have to think, like, Bristol, at least, like, my whole life, Bristol was always, like, the biggest thing in this area. Yeah. Race weekend, so the area, it's called the Tri-Cities. It's three different cities. you got Kingsport, Johnson City, and Bristol. I live in Kingsport, so we're all three kind of like a triangle. But even in Kingsport, when it was race weekend, you were going to have a hard time going out and getting around because of how many people were coming to our area. And for the last decade or so, race weekend has meant not much at all to this area just because there's not much traffic coming in compared to the way it used to be. Um, now I do know with the, the dirt race coming up, it's a different banking um, and they're hoping to have a cushion up at the top of the track now, which yeah. we saw you know, last year. If you're a dirt racing fan, you probably didn't enjoy the Bristol dirt race too much. Now, if you're a casual dirt racing fan, this is probably the only dirt race you've ever watched and you thought it was really cool. But the banking that they're adding, I think, will make it much more exciting from the stance of someone like you, Alex, who loves actual dirt racing. Now, as far as track prep goes, yeah, I mean, honestly, you can only blame SMI for that. There is an incredible dirt track about 30 miles south of this area. It's called Volunteer Speedway. Um, why they didn't like bring them in in partnership and let them help design and prep the track, I don't know. Because it's a very successful track. Kyle Larson's actually running there. He's a promoter for the track now. But through Flow Racing, Kyle Larson's actually putting on a entire dirt race evening the Thursday before 
Bristol dirt down at that dirt track. Are you going? I want to. Yeah. I'm going to the nationals this weekend. Shout out Papa. Good. Uh, Dalton goods. Dad hooked me up with some tickets for this weekend. Yeah. And uh, I've got, I've got a question from him uh, here in a second to ask all of us. Cause we've all been to different stuff. Um, but on, on the, on this wide open edition, we're, uh, we're going to start with Atlanta. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back. Trust me. Uh, but do, I do want to say something. Um, since you are from the area, you said that the Bristol dirt race kind of revitalized everything. Um, obviously it's going to be on Easter weekend, but like you said, there's racing this weekend, next weekend, and the following weekend um, with, I, I don't know the series for the dirt nationals for, for this weekend, but the part of outlaws will be there in a couple of weeks. Um, with them making the track dirt, have you also seen an increase of people and traffic in your area due to just the dirt scene that they had the month before the race last year? 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, that track really does lay dormant year round, um, which I think is unfortunate anyway. Unless NASCAR is here, nothing comes to the area. Um, but yeah, so last year and even this year so far, I, there's a lot of hype in the area and there's a lot of buildup for it. Um, you drive by Bristol Motor Speedway today and all the tracks fully lit. Uh, there are people in uh, their haulers and there's patrons walking around. I think it's great for the local economy and it's bringing a lot of people in. I do know last weekend they had something like 128 cars entered in over last weekend. That's a big number of cars um, to come and run at these nationals. Obviously, it's nothing big like Eldora would be pulling in or anything like that. But I think as time goes, I think that Bristol Dirt is going to become more of an attraction to attend. Yeah, and, and I think, like you said, if they get it right, it'll appeal to guys like me uh, who mm -hmm. are, you know, I've worked in the dirt world my whole life that's where i grew up and so i mean I, that's what i'm what i'm good for so uh i know that we have all had different experiences from different racetracks all over the country all different types of racetracks but uh um dustin cranmore which is i assume the father of our host, Colton Cranmore, who's out tonight because he's feeling a little bit down, says, are some tracks more exciting to watch races at than others? So um, I'm, I'm going to assume that he's asking about track types. So, I mean, oh, since, yeah. you're, since you're our guest, go ahead first, Cody. Um, yeah, for sure. So last year, unfortunately, I cannot speak from the super speedway standpoint. Um, obviously, we all know what happened at Talladega in the fall. Uh, I had to come back home from work, so I did not get to watch the race in person, which is terrible as a Bubba Wallace fan. Um, very painful. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, Bristol Motor Speedway, everything is so compact, right? Like, no matter where you sit, it's a good seat. You're just a few steps away from your beer and snacks and bathrooms. Whereas you go somewhere like a Talladega, you know, while the racing is incredible, that also factors into my racing experience. I can have a great time at a race, but if I have to walk six miles to go to the bathroom, like that, that kind of kills the experience for me a little bit because I'm missing some of the racing. Um, Martinsville is an incredible track to watch in person. Um, and then Atlanta now is incredible. I did enjoy last year's Atlanta races as a fan. First time I'd ever been to a 1.5 before because I had grown up in this area. Bristol was all I knew before last year. Um, Nashville super speedway is kind of a different track overall. Um, it was fun. I'm not super excited about Nashville as a race fan from the stands again. I'll be there, 
but I'm not looking forward to it the way that I look forward to Bristol or Martinsville or a track like that. Um, Texas is just as awful in person as it is on TV. <laughs> uh, hey, first off, uh, Dustin, do you look like Colton by chance? I'm kind of curious. Like, it's not every day you get someone's cousin from out there. Yeah, and I'm sorry. If that if if, if, yeah, if, if, if you're even if you're even from that area, I don't know if you're from around that area or not. But I'm just kind of curious because it'd be kind of cool to see another Colton out there. Yeah. So, I mean, go ahead, Jared. Since you're speaking up, I mean, oh, oh, yeah. Let's get. I I think it all like it comes down to personal bias when it comes to tracks in a way because you know I'll I'll obviously live by that i think pocono is my favorite racetrack as it's been the only track that i've gone to consistently year by year i think like i grew up watching like a different style of racing than like your super speedways or your mile and a half or your short tracks like i always grew up watching like a fuel mileage race and i kind of talked about that with the indycar race like every year it seems like there's a fuel mileage race at pocono like even before stages it was kind of cool to see guys pit on like lap five and you listen to the radio chatter just them listening talking about different strategies and stuff and like pocono itself is just a pretty unique track it's like a road course but it's also like an intermediate but it's also like a super speedway in a way you got like five all while being a triangle <laughs> all yeah. while being a triangle that's yeah i agree with that that's that's one of my favorites i liked richmond cody what are your thoughts on richmond last year uh richmond was interesting i would love to go back to richmond with this new car and i think i would enjoy it a lot more <laughs> so i think you should come on uh april april 3rd with me maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know anyone who's going that. If anyone's watching this, or is anyone that I know possibly going to Richmond? Because I really want to go to Richmond because I'm just dying to see some sort of racing. And that's the closest thing possible to me right now. Yeah. Someone please let me know if you're going to Richmond. I will meet up with you and we will watch the race together and I will spend a lot of money at the race. Please. Yeah. At PK Jared9 on Twitter. Let him know. Um, yeah. So in your way. Yeah. So Cody. Nathan is a racer. Um, so I'll I'll let him go next, and then I'll I'll have mine because you pr you guys are probably going to think I'm going to have a cop on answer. Yeah, I mean I will say I agree. Like I, it depends on your biases. Like I've been to I go to Daytona every year, which is obviously super speedway racing. I kind of have it. I'm kind of spoiled in the sense that it's a super speedway. There's pretty much constant action. There's the amenities of Daytona are crazy good compared to most tracks. I mean I've been to Pocono. I've been to Daytona Road Course. I've been to st pete street circuit etc but honestly like if i'm there i'll probably enjoy it either way so it just i don't have a big preference as to what type of racing it is as long as i have a good time like i'm fine with going anywhere come to pocono yeah. uh, Dude, can i tell you i, I will go there Nate a question yeah, raise your hand before okay. you speak. um yeah that's listen it's by default so if i had 36 tickets in front of me one for every race of the season which one are you going to take out of my hands oh man so if i've already got the daytona tickets by our family goes there every year so like i've taken those out i already got those i think i'm going to darlington because Ooh. that's the kind of race that i've Ooh. never been to before it's it's a long grueling race that's probably my favorite track on the schedule um it's it's really fun to watch because it's a demanding track for the drivers skill wise. It's demanding because it's hot and slick. It's five hundred miles. It's a crown jewel race, and it's like I don't think I could go wrong with going there. Are you going That's to that? A Cody? Fantastic answer. 
So, so I'm going to say Nathan's going to take us all with him. So we're going to go to the Darlington for the Southern 500. But I know you, you've you obviously been there. But for me, it's got to be the Bristol Night Race. That is the one ticket that is on the top of my bucket list. And I think the Southern 500 is third because the Daytona 500 is second for me. You've never been to Bristol, not? I've never been to Bristol. Come this all. year. Come you've this year. You've never been at all? No, oh, yeah, you gotta come. You gotta come this year. Come on. I, I have got I'll, to have an off weekend at work and the money to go there, but I am. What trying. if I? I will pay for a ticket if you go. Okay. Well, <laughs> don't say that. Don't say anything to Myra because I might get my head chopped off. Um, I'll pay for. I'll pay for her ticket if she wants to go. Shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'll have money right. by then, hopefully. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Depends on how many I go to until then. So I can say this, uh, Dustin, I have been to a road course race. I have been to Formula Drift events. I have been to um, everything but drag racing. I've been to short tracks, super speedway, mile and a half. Um, I've not been to the Tricky Triangle. Uh, I've been to the Indy 500. Um, some tracks are more exciting to watch a race at than others. I think no. I think that if you are a genuine race fan and you love racing, you are going to be as excited as you are going to a rinky-dink racetrack called the Indianapolis Speedrome just because you found some tickets before the 500 and seeing a fucking figure eight race for 90 minutes as you are a mile-and-a-half race at Atlanta on the old surface with the 550 package. It doesn't matter. If you're at a racetrack, you're going to be excited. You're happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just every weekend, every weekend, Friday nights, you can find me at my local track here in Kingsport. I live like two minutes away from it. Jared's seen it. He's not seen a race there, but I drove him by it when he was here for Bristol. I'm there every Friday, just as happy. And you would think looking at me in the stands, cheering and drinking that I'm at a NASCAR race. But I do. Yeah. Any kind of racing I'm here for. Yeah, and I know it's it's wide open fan field. So I'm going to take part in this. And I do have to ask everyone a question because I go to races and I analyze everything. I get enjoyment from, from like oh, I said yeah. earlier, watching different stuff. Do you guys do the same thing or you, do you just like big, loud race cars? Oh, man. I'm guilty. Like, I'm guilty of all of it. Like, I like I like the sights, I like the sounds, but at the same time, I kind of like to analyze that stuff. Um, it's not as easy to do it at a super speedway because there's not as much to analyze. But when I was at Daytona road course, I thought it was fun because you could see which guys are breaking the latest, you know, which guys are taking the corner a little bit differently. Like there's just all sorts of fun stuff going on that you don't really see on TV because the commentators don't make a big deal of it. I absolutely love big, fast race cars, but I also love to watch these guys in smaller tracks. I love to watch them try to work different lines. Um, so my, my local speedway, it's only a 0.33, um, and it's a very flat track. So, I mean, as far as, like, running a high line, it doesn't really exist all that much. But every now and then you'll see a guy who starts getting daring, and he'll try to carry a little bit more speed than others And there. I love to watch the runs that happen in small, you know, hometown racing. Um, and also another thing that I love to watch and think about during these races, you watch a NASCAR race, a formula one race, an IndyCar race. They don't care to tear up their equipment, right? I mean, what's it to them? What is a $250,000 check to Rick Hendrick? Nothing. Now, as far as a mom and pops race team, that's racing out of their backyard, 
um, you know, they're going to be a lot more cautious and a lot more thoughtful as far as you know how dangerous they're willing to drive. So I love to watch those teams really try to run hard, but also way smarter and cautious than other teams. Uh, that's something that I really love to set and think about is like, how much have they put in? Like how much of their, their personal savings is in this car? Cause I mean, they're racing for what? Three, 400 bucks a weekend. So yeah, how, yeah. right. Yeah. So, I mean, how much of their, their personal time, because these guys, they don't get paid. Like you, you yeah. can have a sponsorship from your local tire pro, sure, but that's not paying the bills the way that you know Napa pays for Chase Elliott's car per se. So that's something that anytime I go to a small track racing, I always think about that. Like how much of their life is fully invested into this? And to me, that's where real racing is—is is in those small tracks. Yeah, I'm going to back Cody up on that because I've been going to Jennerstown has a thing in the summer where they have like, I think it's uh, something in the mountain, mount, motor mountain masters in the summertime they have and they have a bunch of like late models come, you know, I got to meet Josh Berry last year. Look, it's Josh oh, Berry. That's cool. I got to see Josh Berry race there, Corey Heim race there, Derek Griffith race there. So it was kind of cool to see all those guys go, but then you also had the local short track regulars from the series that race there also. So like what Cody was saying, you get to see like all these big name guys that are moving up in their ranks, but then you also have the local guys who obviously like what Cody was saying, put all their paychecks in for the race weekend. So that's something I like to analyze short track racing. And even like with dirt track racing too, I've really become invested watching that. So I, I think as I've gotten older, I've started to analyze more things like that rather than whenever I was little and just love seeing big loud cars go by yeah and it, it's interesting as well I like i like how you said that when you were little you like big loud cars go by it's interesting to see i mean i know we're all of different ages uh or maybe it's just nathan and the rest of us are 26 i'm not sure how old cody is but uh, i'm 26 uh, yeah so the rest of us are 20 <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um we it's interesting to see us kind of mature as fans not just people but as fans because the same the same kind of video game fan thing that nas that uh, nathan's always complaining about with nascar fans that happens with everyone and then right. they're going to be us in 10 to 15 years talking about how how oh this is this is all a joke this is too much of this that and the other there's too many gimmicks and all this other stuff so it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see how each of us have matured as race fans um but cody uh we we wanted this to be uh a atlanta um recap and you came on here and you took the wide open concept and you got us on short track racing and so i appreciate steering that way but let's get back to uh atlanta uh what i mean you have the floor what do you want us to talk about from the repave um, honestly, just, uh, I want you to justify a little bit for me, um, why you weren't as happy with the pack racing. I would love to pick your brain a little bit with that. In what way? Um, so, uh, I, I don't want to like throw private <laughs> conversations out into the open, but, um, you said that, uh, your small brain loved it. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> call me yeah. out. Okay, oh, so that's, man. that's what I do. It's what I do. Oh, here we go. Yeah, so, um, so I said it at the, at the beginning of the show. I felt like this package makes me feel like NASCAR thinks I'm dumb. 
I think they think that no fans want to watch a 500-mile grueling race like the Southern 500, like a 500-mile race at Atlanta, like the Coke 600. That's why we have four stages there, not three. I don't think – I think the stages in general. I think that NASCAR thinks fans are dumb and they do not have the ability to incorporate what's happening onto the the racetrack into their brains and say, oh, wow, this is cool. This is actually high-speed chess. I think that they think we just want to watch, you know, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, and that's it. It's five or ten minutes of some dude just doing this with another dude just doing this. And, and that's it. And that's all we have attentions for. I think that's what this package makes me feel like NASCAR thinks that we want. Because if you look at any of the drivers, any of the crew members, any of the engineers, any of the uh, retired drivers even, other than Clint Boyer, everyone probably looks at this race with a sore eye and says, that's not why I came here. That's not I mean, why I put my life's effort into stuff. That's not why I, you know, worked from where I did at the short track, going to college to be an engineer to come, you know, after I was, you know, at the ARCA racetrack with, with the guys putting on tires and changing headers and shit to come here and be an engineer for a flat footed race. Like for me, it just, it's a slap in the face because my the intelligent race fan of me didn't get to see anything but my small brain was like oh this is fun cars side by side but that's not real racing is it It, it's kind of it's kind of fake it's it's, that that's where i'm at are you next cody yeah, hey, this is all right. all right. Okay, so here here's my two cents on this. So I get I get everything. You know, I get the entertainment. Was it an entertaining race? Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm sure that was pretty entertaining. Now, where the slap in the face comes in for me is what were we praising the last four weeks or well three weeks, not counting Daytona? We were talking about how cool it was. Oh, we got car control back. We got off throttle time. We got all this stuff. We were all praising that like it was the best thing ever. This next gen car is awesome. And then we come to Atlanta and get kind of a glorified 550 race that we all bitched and complained about the last couple of years. That's kind of like where my stance was. That is and. I think kind of the broadcast was really hyped up the, oh, we got so many lead changes. We got all this. Well, if every, if all the fans like lead changes, how come we don't see tandem drafting anymore? You know, there were so many lead changes at Talladega that first year they did tandem drafting. You saw lead changes about every lap, you know, but apparently fans didn't like that. And Nate and I, Nate and I were talking about that earlier. It was like, oh, some fans didn't like that. You're controlled by another car pushing you. Well, with that Atlanta race, you kind of were in control. You weren't really in control either. You had to pick which lane you wanted to go to, or if you, let's say the final five laps or so, if someone pulled out, you're, you're dropping back. Or if you get stuck in the middle lane, you're dropping back. So that's kind of my two cents on it. Like I said, I, I'm sure it was an entertaining race. I'm sure if you were at the race, that was probably cool. I wouldn't put it as like the race of the year, the best race of the decade, as I saw some comments on Twitter this weekend was, I'd, I'd say it was a, it was an okay race, but personally for me, it's probably not my favoriteest race this year. I think we could have gotten a Atlanta type race or a Las Vegas, Las Vegas type race to that extent. But 
we got what we got. And like I said, I'm sure it was entertaining, but that's my two cents on it. Yeah, I kind of have to agree in that sense. Like the small brain in me really loved it because I go to Daytona every year. Like I'm, I might be a nerd and I might like strategy racing. I might like intermediate racing, but at the same time, I do like to watch super speedway racing. Like I go there every year for a reason, but I don't want it everywhere per se. Like I'm kind of like, I think we are kind of right to worry that this is going to be everywhere, but I just, I think that it's fine as a special thing, but I'm not sure if we need to, to change an intermediate track to make it like this. Yeah. And so yeah. while Jared was talking, he, he kind of helped me summarize my rant that I went on in one sentence. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying we saw two very good cars um, at Atlanta. I feel myself, Ross Chastain was the best car of the day, aside from the tire issue, obviously. And then, obviously, William Byron became that. Atlanta was Kansas of fall 2020 with cars going too wide. That is what I'm going to sum it up as. The one car was controlling the field just like Joey Logano was controlling the four car in that race, except they were all in a pack and they were too wide. No difference between those two races for me. I think that that Atlanta race is what they wanted the 550 package to look like the last couple of years. I think I, they finally. That's actually I, a good thought. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like he's, you know, when we watched that the first year they ran that package in the the open or whatever, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember that open race. It was like three wide the whole time. There was everyone was close together. The leader couldn't get away. I think that's what they were trying to do with the 550 package. And I think now that they kind of got the card they wanted and the banking and stuff, they got exactly what they wanted. And I'll agree, like, I don't want to see them do this at every race. It'd be kind of cool if they did, like, one race at Atlanta, this package, then maybe the next Atlanta race, just let them go unrestricted, like how Kurt Busch was saying, and I'm sure there were a oh, lot yeah. of other, other drivers who were saying, because one of the articles I also read was, like, entertainment versus racing. Like, what do, what do, what do the fans actually want? So I'm going to follow up just about everybody with a rebuttal. Um, so I currently study marketing. Um, that's that's my focus in school. And the biggest thing that is pounded into our head is how we groom people to have the most content in the shortest amount of time. And on, I'd say NASCAR has seen the trend, the upward trend for F1 for a long time, way before it was even apparent to us. Thus, that's where stage racing comes from, right? It, it gets everything back up, lined back up. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like I hate stage cautions. If we want to keep stages, that'd be fine. The old fan in me. Oh, Don't no. get into Here that because I have a fucking rant at the end of the show. Oh, Don't boy. get into that too much yet. Yeah. So the inner fan in me, like, we don't need to break up the race entirely. Um, but NASCAR knows, and we're seeing it with the shortening of some of these races, right? NASCAR knows that people are less likely today to spend six hours in front of the TV watching one program. Because we are constantly groomed. We are groomed and we groom people to want content quickly. And that's it, right? As much as possible. And that's why I think Formula One performs so well in the United States now. Like the new market that's opening up. Mm -hmm. Because the races are what? An hour and a half tops. Like start to finish, you're already done. It's a beautiful thing, right? People wake up early Sunday mornings. They can watch the race and then it's done. Now we have these later start times in NASCAR your entire day is consumed by the race. And if you're not invested into it, the level that we are, 
you're probably not going to spend all four hours of race day just sitting right in front of your TV. Me, my butt's only getting up to go pee or grab food. But other people are different. So I think with Atlanta, um, the way they're wanting to do it and the way that it's panning out, I don't think there's anything wrong with us having like a small brain race, right? It makes it fun. It makes it exciting. Um, And I don't anticipate – Yeah, I would be willing to wager a lot that NASCAR isn't necessarily, you know, having their meetings and they're like, all right, let's do this to every single intermediate. I don't think that that's the plan. I don't think that that would be a smart business move. Obviously, I'm not in the NASCAR boardroom, but I just I don't foresee them looking at making every other intermediate that that way. I don't think it's viable. I mean, the main reason why Atlanta got the whole repave and change is because it was already ready. The Atlanta was desperately in need of a repave in some form or another. So with that, they're like, Hey, how about we do this? SMI is growing exponentially as an organization, right? I mean, they're, they're absorbing tracks. They just recently got uh, Dover and Nashville. Um, and now we have the Nashville fairgrounds deal coming in soon. Um, I think SMI as a whole, they're just trying some new things. I don't think we'll see Charlotte repaved. I don't think we'll see Kansas repaved. I don't think they're going to do anything with Las Vegas. But as far as all of that goes, I just think that maybe one or two races a year, you know, depending on what they plan to do with the package going forward in the summer race in Atlanta, I think that it's fine for us to have just a fun, dumb race. I think that's a-okay. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Um, Fantastic rebuttal. But we also already had four of those races. What? With super speedways? Yeah. I mean, this is totally different, though. Totally different. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I know, but I, maybe I, one, maybe one, maybe one, maybe one Atlanta on the race. Like, oh, that. I, I worshipped intermediates when I knew we were going to a one point five at like twelve years old. That was when I was my most excited because I freaking loved green flag pit stops. Oh my god, yes, full mileage and like all of that. I loved it. But we've not had something that great in a long time when it comes to intermediates, right? I mean, we can all agree. So I think to have one 1.5 that just gives us something totally random and out of left field, I I genuinely, like, tip my hat to NASCAR for this weekend. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, like I said earlier in the show, it it was a success. It, It did what it set out to do. But also, like you said, uh, we talked earlier uh, about green flag pit stops, our affections of it, uh, what happens when we see it, um, and stuff like that. Um, and and um, it, it it got a little bit spicy that that con- that uh, talk about it because because I found out from Cody today that he is me as a race fan. He he loves strategy and stuff like that. So he joins Nathan and Jared as well and, and stuff like that. So. When he said something about stages earlier, I already got riled up. So what I did is I heard a lot of people this weekend complaining about this race being too long. You were talking about it from a marketing standpoint that, you know, short attention span, stuff like that. Obviously, we have TikTok, what have you. But we have stage cautions, and this race was only three hours and 57 minutes long. I don't think that's too bad for a 500-mile for a event. Maybe it is. We see races at. Darlington and Charlotte be in the five, six hour range steadily. I, I did the math. So what I'm about to do is I'm going to try and make this make sense, but I, I did the math. So no one said this in 2020 when fall Talladega was 
four hours and five minutes. That was a ridiculous race. I was there for so long. I was bored out of my mind during some of those red flags. Um, but we had three hours and, and, and 57 minutes on Sunday. And that's only over a little bit 20, 20-ish minutes over the average college football game, which right now is a runtime of three hours and 33 minutes. And so I did some math, and I was like, well, we had two competition costumes for stages and one just totally unnecessary one because we had practice, and for some reason we continue to have these competition costumes even though we have practice. So I did the math. Race pace was around 30 seconds. We spent 22 laps under caution for those three yellows. And that's around 660 seconds. In total, I went off of William Byron's, the winner's uh, times for each of these um, laps. I, I calculated that we were under caution for 2,078 seconds. And if you subtract that from a normal race pace of 660 seconds, you get 1,418 seconds that we wasted that could have been under green. And that comes out to be 23 minutes and 38 seconds. Now, I want you to tell me what two or excuse me, three hours, 57 minutes minus 24 minutes is. It is three hours and 33 minutes, the exact same as the average time for a college football broadcast. Do not tell me that these races are too long. Abolish the stage cautions and get rid of those damn competition cautions. Jesus Christ. I, I, I did the math. I appreciate that you went that deep. Like I didn't think I, he was going to go that far. I yeah, fucking hate deep. stage costumes with a passion. You, you ruin the fact that we don't have strategy. You ruin the fact that we don't get the green flag pit stops. And you fucking wasted 24 minutes of my life and Cody's <laughs> life and about 100,000 other people's life on Sunday because we're already starting these races too late. And we didn't get out of the fucking parking lot until after 8 p.m. That is ridiculous. This race could have been 24 minutes shorter on the average of a college football broadcast. These races aren't too long. Stage cautions fucking suck. Oh, that's my Pre rant for tonight. Preach, brother Alex. Yeah, no, I I appreciate how like detailed that uh, was. I just I imagine you like out of camera view that there's like a blackboard up on your wall and it's just got gut chalk all over it. <laughs> You know that, that I don't know where the mean from. I think it's from Always Sunny, where he's got the the, the yeah. cigar and it all. That's me every race day, just finding stuff to complain got about. The red yard everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. But I, the culprit is the stage cautions. Guarantee you. Throw the green and white checker. That some bitch has got green on it. That means keep going. That means keep going, baby. You won the stage. Keep going. Yeah. Can you imagine. Yeah, the just wave the green, the green checkered flag, and that means you you get your stage points here, but you're not pitting. Or if you want to pit, you can, yeah. but you're gonna lose position. I think if they're gonna have stage cautions, you just don't open pit road and see what happens. Oh man, that'd be interesting. I do, I do love the fact that you brought up that competition caution though on lap 45 because we had a caution before that. We had a At caution lap 25, which is when the competition 25. caution usually is. Yeah, and I thought that that was that? as a spectator in the stands. I thought that was the competition caution. And yeah, then I was like, oh, this is good. And I was like, what? Yeah. And then they came over and the announcer the announcer came over and said, and there's a competition caution at lap 45. And like literally everyone in the stands started looking around, like, do we not just have a competition? Uh, 
did we not just use that as the competition yellow because it was 25 laps in? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, that frustrated the hell out of me. But I do want to say with Coda coming up, road courses fucking suck now, and we have more of them because competition yellows. So do you guys think NASCAR should just go ahead and try it this weekend and see what happens? Because I think it'll be a better race. It'd be cool, but they won't. Yeah, they never we can, would. We, we, can talk, we can talk about it until we're blue in the face, but they're not going to. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm always red in the face because I've got rosacea, but whatever. <laughs> I think you should send some, some mathematical statistics on road courses to the fan council and see if that sways their mind. I love road <laughs> courses. Um, last year, I was over the moon with seven of them. Um, my only complaint was that we only kept one in the in the playoffs. Um, I think if because twenty five percent of the races last season were road courses, so I think that only having one in the playoffs was unfortunate. If we're so, going to keep it fair and balanced, we can. If we're going to run 20, 20 plus percent of the regular season races in road courses, I do think we need more than one in the. So play. that that equals out to about two. I'll give you this. I'll give you one track type per round because we can probably come up with ten track types, right? Yeah. Um, Roval and an actual road course. Put Watkins Glen in the chase. I think Watkins Glen, historically speaking, I think oh. Watkins Glen deserves to be in the chase. Oh, that would be so nice. The playoffs. The, Sorry, the, the playoffs. The fall Damn. colors, the fall colors of the track, that would look so nice. Montreal, I don't oh. care what it takes. I will do everything it takes to get it back there. Hey, there's our street course, NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's like <laughs> the best street course ever. You said, you said Chicago land wrong. Chicago wrong. <laughs> oh, no. We're going to get Chicago back, but it's going to be the street course. Uh, and I think it's a beautiful thing, too. Uh, I'm, I'm a Supercars fan, so I know it's going to work, but that also irks me because, like, one street one course. of the best mile and a half on the, on yeah, the circuit. Like, I'm we sad about that. that. Yeah. Like, think uh-huh. about like what we could do with a traveling street course per year through NASCAR. Every See, year, I- put it in a new market. We have See, Chicago I'm, next year, Nashville the year after. See, I'm kind of cool. If if we do something like that, like have a street course series, then have like a stadium series where we just rotate like stadiums and stuff. And but like, that would be a perfect street. thing to do for the All Star race. Agree. I agree entirely with that. I don't know that a points paying street course is good. Just like I don't think that the Coliseum race would be good for points. I say they should do the preseason. Do a preseason. Sh- do a preseason street race rotating around different cities and then during the summer you can have your stadium series all-star race because that'd be kind of sick because then you could actually do that whole format of the heat races and stuff for the all-star race that'd be kind of cool yeah and any football stadium will be able to house that um Mm -hmm. i mean they proved it at the coliseum yeah yeah um well i mean i'm kind of Ugh, I, I've, I've, I've released everything with my rant. So, but, I mean, it's wide open. Let's continue talking about what you guys want to continue to talk about. But, uh, yeah. Cody, I have a question for you. With the racing that happened at Atlanta and all the mixed opinions, do you see an increase, decrease, or neutral for fans in attendance in the summer race? Um. I think that the only thing that will hinder turnout will be the heat. Um, I do wish that this was, and I mean, I, I feel like I've got to get everybody riled up again. Why is this not an eye race coming up in the summer? 
Um, Atlanta know. is literally one of the most beautiful, gorgeous night races in the world. I used to look forward to that night race every single year. And when I played NASCAR video games like NASCAR 2005, you better believe that was the race that I would just run on repeat. I love Atlanta in the nighttime. It should be a nighttime race. I think if it was a nighttime race on a Saturday night, the stands would be absolutely filled up. After the race, let's open up that peach pit again and have just a big party, right? Make it something kind of like the boulevard. Um, but so they're actually I, doing that this year. They're going to have Flo Rida, um as the encapsulating person, and they're going to have a music festival all weekend. That's, that is incredible. And I think that's something that NASCAR desperately and truly needs. Um, I do hope that NASCAR hits every single fan base, though. Like, let's not have all country or all rap or all rock. Let's just have a little bit of everything. So that way, everybody's happy and nobody can really bitch about it. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word on here. If I'm get, not get a get a music festival type of deal going on before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, Firefly up at Dover. Right? Like a, that be like paired in with the NASCAR race weekend. Yeah. Like, imagine if you had Firefly the whole week and then you had NASCAR coming Saturday, Sunday to finish off the week. Right. And like your attendance is going to be through the roof. But as far as Atlanta this summer, I think it'll probably be pretty equal, even. I am I am worried because of the heat, like you said. So last year you were at the summer race too. It was not that bad. We had cloud cover all day. It was only 70 degrees rain because we had the rain on Saturday night. But this this year, if we get a typical July summer heat, we're we're gonna be roasting. People are going to die. I'm not kidding. Literally, yeah. That. Yeah. Like they're gonna be heat strokes in the infield or in the stands. Like it is it is incredible how hot it is. I've worked up there with my dad on Thursdays during the July heat. It is not safe for human consumption. Um, but also, to your caveat of a night race, Cody, um, I went to every single one of those night races when they had them on Labor Day weekend, and it was just as hot at night. So it, it doesn't help during the summer at night. I think we need to make this a playoff race going forward, Ooh. and I would like mm -hmm. to see them do that um, in the, the next to last round. If they're going to have this do – do the same package both times. Why not? The playoffs are already a joke anyways, right? So can I follow that up with a question for everybody? Uh, do we want to see them open them up for the summer race? That way we get one of each, and then we pick which racing style we like better for next season? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I want to see unrestricted. Yeah, I do, but I don't think we need to pick which one we want. We can do both, both races if fans were complaining about this race being too long with the 500 miler put the unrestricted 670 package on in the spring and have the the july race be you know your your restrictor plate race because it's more palpable at 400 miles it'll be better for everybody because if the, the competitors and spotters were way overworked on sunday because of it being 500 miles we'll have the shorter race be the more intense one Hmm, okay. That makes like sense. That. No, let's I do like it every that. year. I dig that. Have a throne. Okay. So now, me as someone who doesn't like double dates, we've got two completely different racetracks, just like we do with the Roval and Bristol, you know, because we've got dirt and, and no dirt. So that, that tracks with what I want from a variety in my schedule. Marketing, right, Cody? Uh, yeah. That's marketing. That's marketing. Different, same track, different style. Yeah. Come that, see I mean, the big. fastest cars in NASCAR. Going 200 mile an hour into turn one at 
you know, for 500 miles, you know, just like they used to do. And then now come see a, a pack of screaming cars, you know, under the lights in July. Yeah, two marketing schemes right there. There you go. So do you think um, internally, do you think NASCAR is patting themselves on the back for this weekend? Yeah. Uh, I don't oh, yeah. know that NASCAR is because NASCAR probably didn't want this, but SMI definitely is. I think so. Um, yeah. And I, I, I want to, to get Brandon back on here in a couple weeks, if that's at all possible and just see what the, what, I mean, I know he's going to say it's an astounding success, but I want to see exactly what he and the rest of the crew from SMI um, thought about it because I mean, it, it, it was an overbearing success other than the problems that you and I and every other fan had getting into the track. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And leaving. And leaving. Anything else? Are we tapped out on Atlanta? <laughs> we made it pretty far. Yeah, I think we got through a lot of stuff regarding It's pretty fun. I do want to shout out something. Corla Joey, um, he had, he had at least four feet in the air when he was turned backwards, yeah. and he still came up to finish that top five. That that was a hell of a, that that. How next gen car for the win? That's all I can say. You know, you know what was funny. Speaking of Corey LaJoy, I'll just let everyone know. In my fantasy league, I thought it was a cool idea to drop Corey LaJoy for Todd Gilliland the week before. <laughs> Damn. What, what a! I think that deserves a uh, terrible award. Statistically speaking, I don't think that was a bad decision. Statistically yeah. speaking, I also should have realized it was a super speedway style race and that Corey LaJoy would have been the better of the lower tier drivers remaining. I guess speaking of that, good. So I do want to ask, um, we did see some of those guys come out and shine that are good at Talladega and Daytona, like the Bubba Wallace's, uh, Ryan Blaney's, um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I mean, all these guys that are typically good plate racers shined here. Did we expect that or? Yes. You know, or it's, was a di- there's- it's a different type of skill for that kind of racing. You know, if you have a stricter plate, obviously you're going to see those same types of guys like Hamlin's a good restrictor plate racer. Obviously he didn't have the best week this week, but your Corey joys, Michael McDowell's, those types of good restrictor plate drivers are going to get you better finishes just because it's their better at that style of racing compared to other tracks like Corey LaJoy for the example that we're using like usually he's pretty good at the top he usually he's good for like a top 10 top 15 even top fives in at restrictor play races restrictor play type of races and that's what we saw here this weekend and he kind of just continued to prove our point that restrict good restrictor plate drivers are going to succeed at restrictor plate type of tracks I did anticipate super speedway racing until I listened to the Dell Jr. download and Austin Sindrick kind of led me astray. Um, he said that based on the testing and the way everything was looking, he actually anticipated it running like a single file Kansas race. So like you know, the whole lead up, like, this is going to be a, a mini super speedway. And then Sindrick said that. So I had no idea what to think until we saw the racing. Okay, now here, I'm going to not really counter this, but what happens in the summer whenever we actually do have those hot temperatures, slick track type deal? Do you think we still see that type of pack racing? Or do you think we're going to see like a more spread out? Like we'll still have closed racing, but do you think we'll have like multiple different packs with more tire wear? Because obviously tires were a big issue this week. So what do you anticipate in the summer? Plus you already have, plus you have teams that already have notes for this race. So obviously you're going to get better the second time around. So 
in all reality, do you think if let's say we run the same package, do you think we continue to see the same type of racing as the track ages as we move on in the future? Or do you think this is just like one of those one time deal type of deals? So I'll take for a little bit uh, the first part of this from a temperature standpoint, since I was not in the shade like Cody was. Um, it was hot as balls, uh, regardless of the fact that the air temp was only in the 70s. That's why um, I moved up. Being right at the racetrack with that brand new blacktop was just awful um, when it came to that. I'm glad I had as much sunscreen. I had FV, SPF 100 plus on all over my body. And I mean, I, I just faced the red, Cody. So, um, sunscreen, Cody. And um, yeah, so we saw a lot of heat. I don't know that it'll be as bad as we think it is. And the tire wear, um, that was proven to be a setup thing. So I think that's addressed and we don't see that in the, in the July race. As far as everything else, Cody, you can, you can share your thoughts on the intensity and stuff like that. I mean, the heat was insane. Um, Saturday, I started my day probably like row 30, like right at the start finish line. That was just way too hot. So we moved up midway through the truck race and, um, Dude, it was like 30 degrees cooler up there. So the next day we were like, yeah, we're setting up here again. Um, but as far as intensity and heat goes, very hot. Um, I'm from northeast Tennessee. Like we have grueling hot summers. Heat's nothing new to me. But middle, like mid-Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama heat is just a totally different beast. It's hot. It's humid. It's awful. Um, I don't think that it's going to affect the racing though too much. Um, I think by the time we come back to Atlanta, I think that Goodyear and NASCAR will have pretty much worked out all the tire kinks. Um, I think we'll be in a much better place. Um, I anticipate the racing to be incredibly similar to what we saw because I mean, like Alex said, it was already like hot. Um, of course, you know, it could be 20 degrees hotter come July and probably, but I don't see that affecting the racing too much. Yeah, and another thing, um, something that uh, I talked about with our friend Keith Merrick over the weekend, uh, we were just complaining about a lot of different things, um, spitballs and stuff, and, and I said something about the Martinsville race being 400 laps instead of 500, and I was complaining about it because, like you said earlier, we're old heads, that's what we fucking do. He said, I think it's going to make that race more intense because they have 100 last laps to get there. So I think that that race is going to be more intense because we're going to have a hundred less miles to get there to the end. Okay. So I, I don't know that the intensity is going to drop just because if they get better, they also have less of a time to just ride around. I mean, I kind of, I agree, I'll agree with that. Cause like, even like all the fall Martinsville races, you know, every, it's always a good race, but then you also look at it like the first 400 laps are always, they're calm, right? You don't usually see much drama happen in the middle of the race. It's all, once you get down to like the last 100, that's whenever still, that's whenever shit starts to hit the fan. Now, like you said, that's a really good point with 400. So do you think that's a good, like, do you think that's the reason why they kind of did that there is to like, all right, let's try to get this because it's obviously you're going to have Martinsville in the fall. So let's make the spring race night race less time. Let's get after it. What do you think? Is that a good marketing scheme by them, Cody? I, I think so. Um, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying a little while ago. Uh, our attention spans are growing shorter. Um, I think the shorter something is, the more you're going to be able to captivate and maintain a, a viewership. Um, I don't hate, listen, 
I want long races. If every race was eight hours long, I'm happy. But reality is like for, I think for the future of the sport itself to maintain and like continue to grow, I think we're going to have to see some shorter races. Um, we can't shorten uh, both Bristol races, right? I mean, we've already sh shortened the dirt race, clearly. We, we um, slashed that bitch in half. We did, yeah. <laughs> um, but night race, we cannot shorten that. We cannot shorten any of the super speedway races. We cannot shorten the fall Martinsville race, and we cannot shorten the Coke 600. The Everything the else. 500. Or, yeah, the yeah, Southern 500. Say. But I think that every other race is kind of fair game. And if we want to play around with it here and there and just see, I mean, if they shed a uh, hundred laps off of one race, and that race consistently grows in viewership and maintains throughout the race. I think that answers the question, right? There's going to be guys like us. They're like, no, give us more. Like I said, add a hundred laps to every single race. And I myself am happy. Right. But so, not the, the general audience. So interestingly in 2008, maybe 2009, they ran 27 miles longer for the Shelby Cobra 427 at Las Vegas. And that race was batshit fucking insane. So I don't know if messing with some of these for for longer or shorter could be the answer. We have nope. Kansas two races, Vegas two races, and all 400 miles. What's to say that we don't have 325 mile race at one of them and a 475 mile race at the other? Yeah, you why know? not? All right, all right, Alex. All right, Alex. Since you're the math math magician on the team, I think we should go back and look at some ratings from other previous races where they messed around with the lengths. You could look back at the Pocono race that was shortened from 500 to 400. You could, you, you like you said, you just used the Shelby 427 race. You could also even look at the Phoenix one. Remember when they ran like 600 kilometers for a race? Mm -hmm. You could look at some statistics on that. Are there any other races that have been shortened and or? Uh -huh. Well, Martinsville this year is going to be a hundred less laps, I think. Right. Well, I mean, let's let's look at a trend. I mean, I mean, Cody, this is not a a a a thing that we haven't seen in the sport already. So you say our attention spans are getting shorter. Um, look at the races in the eighties and the nineties. Look at at the lengths of those. We saw five hundred laps at every short track, five hundred miles at every track that was a mile or, or larger. Um, we started to see a shortening of that. When we went to Phoenix, we only ran 600 kilometers. That's down to 500 kilometers now with the 312. It used to be 372 uh, laps or 382 laps, something like that. Um, and that was the first race that got shortened. We started shortening other races, too. We, we shortened North Wilkesboro from 500 to 400 laps. Nashville was 420 laps though, when, it's, when it started, once we went, Winston came on board. So... We had 500-mile races at Rockingham, at Dover, at Pocono, like you said, Jared, at Auto Club. Auto Club. We've seen them yep. all be chopped down to 400, and they're more palpable. I'm not saying that I don't understand the trend, but we've only got six left. Do we really need to cut more? Right, Other than Texas? If you're going to take a 500-mile race away from right, me, yeah, take it take to fucking Texas. Texas. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely – like I agree with all that. <laughs> What's going to happen if there's a really good race at Texas this year because the new car puts on a really good show? They have the all-star race, so they can fucking still take that that extra 100 miles. Fuck that track. They don't deserve it. I hope that Texas is great, but I'll tell you now, I don't anticipate it to be. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's it, it's an unfortunate uh, blip on the NASCAR 
circuit. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Um, and on that somber note, no, skip. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, well, for real, um, it is uh, the qualifying round for the World Cup between Mexico and the United States. And if you guys can see, uh, I have some game in uh, because Myra is a Mexican American. So uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to fight each other for the next couple hours. Um, so let's go ahead and round up for some final thoughts before uh, they start this game. <laughs> Cody, uh, are you going to come to uh, Richmond and or Martinsville and or Pocono and or Watkins Glen, possibly, uh, and or Michigan? Uh, are you going to pay for them? And what if I, I? What if I did? What if I paid for you? Oh, to come then you would more? you would guilt trip me into coming. Like point. what? Oh. Like what, what? Like what happens? Is, let's let's okay. Let's say for example, I accidentally buy a couple tickets for Washington's Glen. I it would be disrespectful to not uh, show up, right? Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. It would be disrespectful. Yeah, and that goes um, for you guys down south, like Alex, since you have yeah. not been to Bristol, like. I've been, what, I've what? been to Charlotte, yeah, Talladega, you. and Daytona, but for the Rolex. All right. And so my grandparents are like three hours away from Pocono. Like, I if if they do a doubleheader again, I would have gone up. There, yeah, they'll never like, do. I'm that. mad they I'm took pushing. that away. Yeah, same. I'm super mad. I'm, I'm uh, late. No, so Jared, I am going to ask you again, and we're going to get Nathan to come too. But you guys have got to come to July Atlanta. That is a requirement. We're all going to be there. Like, like you got to come. I should, I should have time off by then. I could, I could take a day. I let this race decide whether or not I would be back in July, and I enjoyed it so much I decided to come back. Cody, so, what's your Cody? What's your what's your uh, plan for summer Atlanta? Um, like what like what day would you go down possibly? I I don't know. It depends on like what a, the entire group arrangement would be. Well, like, you're, I you're, wouldn't mind to go down on like a Thursday. Well, mm -hmm. we're gonna have the fan fuel house, uh, so. So, Jared, you're 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 a part of that. Sorry, you, you you're a part of that one, Jared. So, um, uh, but I, I don't know. Steal you. Jared, but, I'll steal I, you. What well, if I well, rent you a hotel room, Jared? Well, no, no. I'm just thinking more of like do, I don't really want to fly down there. So, like, if I drove to meet to you, me, and then and then, then we, you drive then then you drive me to the fan fuel house. Yeah, I mean that could work. That could, yeah. That's an idea. I mean, I mean, let's not fall. Let's we can find. I like how we're making like, plans chill. while we're live. This live is awesome. live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, These guys are gonna know exactly where we are, and they're gonna go rob our houses. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We'll figure. We can follow with that. It's a behind the scenes look at all of this. Like how yeah, how these how we we organize yeah. and prepare. That, that's a good episode to have. Is just planning out a weekend with. Yeah, it's weeks. Just sharing your screen as you're scrolling through Airbnbs. What do you think about here? Like, yeah, I'll quit talking about that because I have a lot of things I can ask, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that for we can get into hours on that discussion. All right, uh, Nathan, you got any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, not really. I think we went through them all. All right, okay. well, Cody, go ahead and uh, since you were the only person to take part in Wide Open Fan Fuel, uh, I'll let you uh, get us with all your links and then uh, we'll, oh, we'll sign out. Sweet. Um, I had a lot of fun being on here. Thanks for uh, doing this. I think this is a really cool idea to let people just hop on and and uh, debate and battle with you. Um, I appreciate everyone's uh, thoughts and opinions, even though I disagree with some. Still respect them. Um, you can find me at Natterday Delight on Twitter. I'm also with Left Turn Colt. Uh, 
NASCAR podcast where we just give really bad opinions. We don't really dive into it as deep. Is as it really you here. or is it just part though? Yeah. What with bad opinions? Yeah. I feel like I have some pretty hot takes sometimes, personally. Yeah, but you're, uh, you actually have, like, reasons and stats. Parv just makes statements and goes with it. <laughs> See, but I feel like Cooper and Jacob and Dalton are guilty of that, too. Like, we're all, we yeah. are all severely biased. Five, um, five, five negatives make a positive. That That is true. That <laughs> is very true. Um, But, yeah, Left Turn Cole and at Natter Day Delight on Twitter. Go. Yeah. So, thanks a lot, Cody, for being on. Um. Thanks, Cody. And uh, we'd love to have you on for an actual fan spotlight episode uh, one of these days. we got to get the rounds with you guys at the Left Turn Cult because uh, all we've had is is uh, Dalton Good, and we've had him twice. So we might have had too much of him already. But uh, uh, So thanks for coming on again. Yeah. a hell of a show. Uh, next time we do Wide Open Fan Fuel, uh, don't be shy. We'll have you yeah. guys come in too. We'll we'll we can throw up to ten people up here. So we'll, we'll have a we'll have a shit show if we that's, want. Like, that's like Chris, what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> yeah. like that's like Christmas party esque. Right yeah, there. yeah, that's <laughs> what. Yeah. So, um, with that, with that being said, you know all our links at Fan Fuel MSM. Uh, capital F, capital F, capital MSM. You can see our Twitter links in here as well. Except for mine, I seem to have exclamation points where ones are going to go because I am stupid. So, anyways, um, thanks for watching. This has been a hell of an episode. We went on a lot of tangents that I didn't know we were going to go on. So, thanks, Cody, for that. Uh, I think it was some really good content. Uh, but we'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye.